And now a message from our sponsor. Hey everybody, it's Bootleg Captain, Captain Bootlegs here. Yeah. If you're like me, I bet you're enjoying this Toys, Toys on, on Tap, Tap podcast. Yeah, I am enjoying it, it's very nice. But did you know you can enjoy it more just by joining that Patreon? Oh, I did not know that. There are so many cool perks available on the Patreon for you. There's and also and Wow, that's really a lot of stuff if you ask Bootleg Captain. Captain I don't bootleg. understand. There were noises I couldn't hear with the person. So join today to support Toys on Tap podcast and Bootleg Art Toys. But if you're not in a position to join the Patreon, head on over to Apple iTunes and review and subscribe. That helps out the channel as well. Okay, I'll go rate it, I guess. And remember, listen to Toys, Toys on, on Tap. Captain Bootleg, the bootleg captain sent you. Why does he keep referring to himself in the third Can person? I stop with the stupid voice now? I'm not sure why you made me want to sound like a pirate. Oh, so that was a fake voice. Oh, yucko! I didn't realize it was just pretend voice. Oh, okay. So as a recap, I think we ended right as you leave working with Hasbro. You had this understanding that um, that they didn't want to take part in what you were cooking up, what you were brewing uh, from your music and for how you were right, selling yeah. it. Yeah, I, re- I remember. Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, as far as like organizing all these episodes, like sort of thematically, kind of envision that this would be the sort of main one mm-hmm. um and have it be about toys specifically because that's what this is called toys on tap so this yeah. is really a, about toys so i figured i would want to just explain how i wound up making toys the way i do and in order to do that i think it's kind of necessary to like roll it back a little bit deal to like to like the beginning and just sort of trace like the sort of milestone moments of just like how my sort of thinking about toys formulated. Mm-hmm. And when I was a baby, I had the Fisher Price Little People. That was like my earliest toy that I ever had. My parents, thankfully, had the, the, the whole economy and the way and the value of money was completely different in the 70s you know my parents rent at their apartment was like 150 bucks a month Jeez. you know one person could support a family yeah. on a regular salary at a regular job getting paid a middle class salary you could pay rent you could save money you could take vacations and thankfully you could buy your child every fucking toy he ever wanted also, my understanding of it is that sometime in the mid-70s, late-80s, like the cost of petroleum and plastic changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. And that's like why a lot of toys got smaller. You know, and and yeah, and and why and just how the economy of toys changed a lot. But I was alive, you know, what I consider to be sort of a golden era, you know, 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. I think were some of like the best toys ever and they'll never it'll never it'll never be like that again but i had the fisher price little people you know the little peg people yeah they look like little midget things right yeah they were just like yeah. a cylinder with a head on it yeah and they don't make these anymore because kids choked on them at the time like they still have a series fisher price still exists and they still mm-hmm. have a series of toys called little people but they're bigger and they're chunkier and they're they're like differently shaped. But these were literally just a fucking peg. Yeah. And I love these fucking things. And they played a major role in my sort of toy development in, into pretty much the, one of the crucial moments. But I'm going to put this at about 1974. And 
I had all these toys. I loved them. You know, they had the farm, they had the little house and they had little cars and they, they were a peg. So yeah. they could just peg into anything. You know, they even had like a little toilet. I have the toilet in the bathtub right up here on my shelf. <laughs> and, and they were just great toys. And I remember when I was that young, they were made out of wood still. That little people was like a wooden body uh, with a plastic head on it. And I think I mentioned in one of the other episodes that I was really into the, the Osmonds. Mm-hmm. That was my thing. I was really into the, the Osmond brothers and all that. And um, we used to get those little teen Tiger Beat, Teen Beat magazines that had all the fucking stupid facts about about these pop stars. And they would always list like what their favorite color was. And I had all the Osmonds' favorite colors memorized. Like Alan was blue, Wayne was orange. Meryl was black, Jay was green, and Donnie was purple, right? I still remember these things. And he used to perform in these colors. Like if they yeah. ever wore like matching outfits, but they were in different colors. And I was kind of fixated on this. And just for, for rec, me and my mom took come a couple of these peg peoples and painted them to look like the Osmonds. Okay. So like, you know, we took the dad, we took four the four dad figures and then the boy figure for Donnie, and we painted them blue, orange, whatever, and then put the little 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 initial because they used to wear these big belts mm-hmm. you know so there was little initial of who it was and it's like boom now i have little osmond toys so i've been fucking customizing figures since i was five years old yeah you know and i think this was sort of pivotal because this was probably my mother's idea but just the idea that like the toys you could do shit to your toys like you can manipulate them and mm-hmm. alter them in some way and that they could serve as a canvas for painting and other creativities was just in my mind since I was five years old. You know, and when the Star Wars figures came out, I remember I was just pissed off because they never made the rebel rebel soldier. You know, they had the the Death Squad commander, just like the which is a crazy name for a fucking action figure. Yeah. You know, they changed it to the Star Destroyer commander later. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, this looks just like the rebel soldier. Why don't they just make another one with different colors? Yeah. You know, so I painted it. I paint I did a terrible job of it. Painted the helmet white, painted the suit like a different blue with the vest and was like, okay, great. Now I have the rebel soldier figure too. And I used to get so pissed off. I was like, why don't they just make this figure with a different head and call it Grand Moff Tarkin? I was always always aware of the production side of things. I don't know how, maybe because my father was an, an engineer and also because he had a friend who worked in the toy industry. Mm-hmm. There was this toy company called Gabriel, which doesn't exist anymore. And they used to make a lot of games. I think they made like the Pop-O-Matic shit and, and they had like Fisher-Price knockoffs. And he used to get free toys. So... I was on like my he works in the toy industry. So it just, it was even as a child, I understood that these weren't coming from some magical place or some, yeah. like I knew there was a company that made toys, you know, cause I'm, and I remember like, you know, looking, looking at the figures and, and trying to figure out like, what, you know, why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? I remember when the He-Man toys came out in like, it was just like 82. And I'm like, huh. I see they got two different styles of chests. Mm-hmm. They got three types of legs, three types of arms, and and one type of pelvic piece. And they just do them in different colors and mix mix the mix the combinations. I'm like, ah, I, I see what you did there. You know, I'm like yeah. 11 years old. I'm like, oh, they did this to save money. And I was like, I don't know. I just my mind was always going in that direction. For an 11 year old, that's incredible because I can't remember shit about ever acknowledging they did that with action figures. 
Really? Like as a kid, I never like I just wanted to play with the toy. I didn't care enough about it. I mean, I, I wanted that too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I I wasn't like a completely detached from it, but it was just like I couldn't help but looking at it. Mm -hmm. You know, and we used to take things apart. Like I guess maybe because I was my father was a tinkerer, you know, I just like always like, oh, there's some screws on the back of this thing. Let's unscrew it and see what's yeah. inside of it. Or, you know, let's let's chop it up. And like I just I don't know where the fuck I got this idea, but like I, I was never, you know, I, I always wanted to do more than, 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 than what was offered, you know, and I, I loved the cantina creatures. When those came out, I was fucking through the roof. I, I think I talked about this in the other episode or just like they were my favorite toys of all time. And I, I was so obsessed with the Greedo figure. And I've told the story a zillion times, but it belongs here because this mm -hmm. is the, the total accounting of everything. I was like, I'm going to make a copy of this figure. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what made me think of this. I got a bar of soap. And I got it nice and wet and hot so it was soft. And then I mushed the Greedo figure into it to make the imprint yeah. of it, like a little mold. And then I took a green crayon and put it in a little saucepan and heated it up on the radiator and then poured the melted crayon into the soap in attempt to like a, make a casting. I'm like fucking yeah. 10, you know, the, the, the wax bonded to the soap and I couldn't get it out. It didn't work. <laughs> but the fact that I was thinking that way at that time was kind of, telling to me yeah you know it was just like i mean it's telling to me now at the time it was just one of the things i did as a kid now i was really obsessed i wanted there to be marvel figures mm -hmm. like they never made like star wars style marvel figures so i had i had the the clay and i made all my favorite marvel figures out of clay they you know they looked silly but it was like always thinking about making 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 the shit that that i didn't see in the world and um one, one interesting thing that happened that really made me even more aware of how toys worked as a kid is that um, I think because my father's friend had the toy, the toy connect, and I think there was other people involved, I got invited to go be part of like a focus group for oh, cool. the MASH action figures. Yeah. Do you remember they made MASH toys? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I must I must have been 11 or 12, I don't remember. And I, you know, I watched the show. It was always on in syndication and it's maybe a little young for it, but I knew what Nash was. I watched it and they were like you got picked and a couple of my friends to go over to the toy building. Mm -hmm. What there used to be these two towers uh that that were these big office showroom buildings that were called the toy building and that's where toy fair used to happen. Mm. Where these these two places where every toy company in the entire world had an office there and every year they would have the big you know the big trade show for all the toy industries and they would do all their business in those buildings now it's moved to the javits center and those buildings are are been repurposed into condos or whatever but at the time that was the toy building i was like oh, i gotta get in there i gotta get in there I think I always felt like I belonged in the toy business somehow and I should be in there. So it's like, okay, this company called TriStar Toys is going to make these MASH action figures and they want you to go, a bunch of kids to play with them. So we go up there and we're in this little conference room and they bring it all out and they had like quite an elaborate setup. It was like, there must have been like 10 or 15 different figures of all the main characters and they looked great. They were so detailed and well painted. I didn't realize I was looking at prototypes at the time, you know, okay. but. But um, I, I remember they seemed a little different than regular toys because the arms were just held in by little pegs. You know, they mm -hmm. weren't. I was like, I, I didn't put it together at the time. And then they had like the helicopter, the Jeep, 
the ambulance and then they had the big play set which was like the big tent which was like the swamp yeah and then they had the surgery room the and it was just like so elaborate and you know you take the roof off of the 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 tent and then they had all the little tables and they had little details and they were all exquisitely painted they had like like they had like the office and there was like a little typewriter on the desk and it was all exquisite so detailed and and then you know we played with them and we said yeah these are great we love them Mm -hmm. and then when the toys finally came out we got them for free you know we got they sent it to them and they were significantly degraded from what they showed us you know like and then I realized, oh, I must have been looking at like an early version of it because all those little details were gone. The figures weren't as well painted. Everything was just cheaper and shittier than what I saw in the showroom. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? This isn't what I looked at. You know, I wouldn't have signed off on this. You know, I remember (laughs) saying that if they'd showed me this, I would have not liked it because they just were fucking cheap. And I could tell a cheap toy from a good toy. And you know, and they would break and they just, the, all the detail, I love the fucking detail. All the detail was, was gone. And that was just that, just like, you know, really just demonstrated to me that um, I had some sort of affinity for this thing. And then whatever, I played with toys for the, re- for the rest of my childhood along these same type of lines. And then I, I told you before, I grew out of it. Mm-hmm. And when I get to college, I'm doing this independent study thing and I make this toy crack house. I talked about this before. Yeah. I, think. I was like, I wanted to make, I wanted to just make something funny and ironic. And I was like, and I wanted to, you know, I was doing sculpture and I was like, I want to do something cheeky. So it's like, why don't I take a kid's toy and make it fucked up in an adult? You know, mm-hmm. why don't I make something really inappropriate that looks like a kid's toy? And I made the crack house and whatever, it did what it did. And then long story short, I come back to New York and somehow or other it wound up in Juxtapost magazine. Like, um, is that a like big a local one or is it bigger? What, Juxtapost? Yeah. Uh, it was a big magazine at the time. It was okay. like Robert Williams, was a f- very famous lowbrow artist, started it in like, when did it start coming out? 1980 something, 90. But it was just basically, and this was before the internet. So it was like, it was basically like all the lowbrow shit was in it. I'm pretty yeah. sure Frank Kozik was in it all the time. And, you know, they just covered like, you know, before the toy industry started, all the people that would have been making toys that were making paintings were in that. Like Shepard Fairey was on the fucking cover every other fucking month, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and somehow or another, I don't remember what happened. They, they, the crack house got in 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 the magazine and i start getting if this is before email i start getting postcards in the mail Mm. i run a little store in fuckville usa can we wholesale this from you and like this isn't a product you know this is this is the piece of sculpture i made for 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 art school like i i could probably make a lot of money you know, if I found a way to get this made, yeah. you know, and I had no idea how to do this, whatever toy industry connections that I may have had left over from a kid from my parents were gone and they would have not, wasn't going to make a fucking toy crack house. I, I had no idea how to, how to make this fucking thing. And, uh, I, so I couldn't, I, I, I didn't even know who to call. So I just, le- I left it, I left it fucking hanging for a while. And, um, but I continued to make shit. And I was mm-hmm. making shit out of Sculpey, 
hoping, thinking it was maybe it was art, maybe, you know, and they all looked like toys. And I remember just one day, for some reason, I'm getting drunk at a fucking art gallery and I'm making all these little sculptures. They looked like um, Dahara, you know, Dahara. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like they were, it looked like that, you know, like kind of wonky hand sculpted things that look cute, but are wildly inappropriate, you know, and I was, and I was like thinking that this is going to be my, be my art, you know, this is what I'm going to make as an artist. And I was like, why don't I put it in a, in a, blister pack you know that would be and just hang them on the wall and it'll look like a toy store you know whatever and uh and so i started like getting star wars figures and like taking the blisters off and then using the fucking solvent to take all the paper and glue off and then i would stick it on and I had all these stupid things like fridge fighter i had this thing called fridge <laughs> fighter where i was making all this toy food I was obsessed with toy food as a fucking kid, I had all the little kitchen shit. I used to play house and I was just loved it. And I was like, I love toy food and action figures. I'm going to combine these things together somehow. And uh, so I started making that fridge fighter. And, and um, I, I was working at fucking Canal Jeans at the time. And I don't know what the fuck happened, but I was always anywhere, any opportunity I had to show this shit to people thinking like my thinking was, you know, if artists, if painters can make prints, right? This is like yeah. early 90s. If painters can make prints, well, why can't sculptors make toys, right? That makes sense to me. And this is way before there was anything even smacking of a designer toy in the world. I had this thought. Not to say that anyone stole that idea from me. I just, maybe I saw it coming. You know, yeah. it just seemed, it just seemed to me that just seemed obvious, you know. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Meanwhile, in a galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have engine failure. We must crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my, we're doomed. Wait, salvation. Hooray, we're saved, DOV2. Limited edition custom artist-made action figures and DKE toys. Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. For custom action figures, DKE, and I, I was, but I didn't know there was nowhere to go. I remember I had this like internship at this place called Art Asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard? If you, you know Art Asylum, they yeah. used to. There was this guy named Digger, and I think right after I got out of Canal Jeans, or maybe before, when I couldn't find a job, I took it. I couldn't find a job. Got an internship at this toy company in Brooklyn, and they did all the model the sculpting and prototyping for toy biz so they were they were making molds and making sculpts of like all the marvel characters you know finally i got to the marvel characters you know and he had me doing this low level shit you know he taught me he had the big casting tank in the back and everything and he he had me casting figures and i fucking fucked it up (laughs) and i couldn't get it right and and like I, i couldn't i couldn't work there because he wasn't paying, it was an internship. Yeah. But I showed him all my little models and I asked him like, how do I get this made? I wanted to make the crack house. Mm-hmm. And he he tried to help me, but without any money, it wasn't gonna happen. Yeah. And like, I was way out of my depth. You know, I had no concept of like how much it was gonna cost and then how to deal with the factory and then what happens when they come get shipped to you and then how to d- d- distribute it. I, this was before Dove, this was before all of this shit. So it was like, I, I couldn't make it happen. You know, so I was like dependent on like a toy company. And for some fucking reason, which to this fucking day, I have never figured out how this happened. I get an email saying that Mattel wants to meet me. 
Okay. I'm getting flown out to El Segundo, California to show my shit to fucking Mattel. I don't know how this happened. Either I showed it to somebody or somebody saw it and, and I get invited to go out there. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pitch them fucking fridge fighter. I had all these, you know, it was like great. I, I thought I had the best idea in the world. I made all these little models and prototypes and like had all my little doll, my little play food sinks and all this shit. I was like putting action figures on it and starting to show how like, this is a combination of like boys and girls toys. You know, it's mm -hmm. like taking the best of all of it. And I go out to California thinking, this is it. This is it. You know, I finally figured out my way. They're going to love me. And I'm sitting down and I'm having a meeting with fucking Mark Taylor, okay. you know, who was, you know who that is, the yeah. guy that fucking created He-Man. Yeah. Beautiful guy, you know. And then he had a bunch of fucking younger fucking, you know, fucking stuck up little shitbag <laughs> executives with him. And I showed him everything. And, and he was like, well, obviously you got something going on here, but we just put out something called Food Fighters a few years ago and it didn't do very well. And this is not what we're looking for right now. But hit us up again when you got something. And I'm like, oh man, I didn't even think of that. You know, I had no, I didn't know how the, the business part of the industry worked. I only knew about how to make the shit and what appealed to me. I didn't realize that it was any, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. You know, I just thought this is a great idea. It's a great idea. You make it right. Mm -hmm. And it sells itself. I didn't realize that they, there was all these other business concerns. <laughs> I think I still haven't realized that shit, but <laughs> I just, I was like, that was another fucking closed door. So in that meeting, you pitch that idea. They say they have food wars or whatever that is, um, which I've seen those, but I, I can't imagine why they It was wouldn't. like a chicken leg. They were like, they were like little food. There's like a chicken leg, a hamburger. Maybe there was a steak. And had and the like arms out, right? Yeah, it was, they weren't that interesting. I thought my idea was much better because it was more integrated, you know, because like they would, kill each other by cooking each other you know yeah. and just like stuff like that it was way more thought out than that did you, you know? pitch other ideas like on the spot whatever you had no i didn't know i didn't have okay. anything else the only other thing i had was a pimple popping thing where it was like <laughs> imagine it's like a picture of a person's face yeah and it has bubble wrap on it and the bubble wrap was filled with gack if you remember gack <laughs> was like the nickelodeon version of slime and i was like yeah. okay they already have gack so there this is a way and I showed them that and they didn't, they weren't impressed with that, even though now they have pimple popping toys all over the place. I was always fucking 20 years too early to all of this shit. Yeah. But anyway, uh, they didn't go for any of it. And like, I, I took it really hard, you know, like, like everything. I was like, oh, this means it's over. Yeah. You know, I didn't think like come up with something new and go back. It was just being in that environment. It wasn't that they rejected my idea. I just got the feeling from the way they were talking and the way they were thinking. It's like, this is just not going to work yeah. for me. You know, I'm too fucking too, I'm too fucking creative for this shit. It was the same thing that hit me when I realized I wasn't going to work for star Wars was that like, I'm going to have to fit myself into a square peg here, you mm -hmm. know, or a round hole or whatever, you know, you know, whatever the fuck the saying is, you know, and I was just like, this isn't, none of this is going to work for me. And I, the mainstream toy industry just seemed close to me. And I didn't, I didn't really know what I was going to do. Figured I'm just going to keep pursuing it as, as fine art. Mm -hmm. And all my attempts to do that also failed because I, I had no juice in the art world whatsoever. And any opportunity I had to show it to anybody that had any sort of expertise or knowledge in the art world thought it was bullshit even though it looked just like fucking little miniature red grooms shit i don't know if you've ever yeah. seen red grooms 
it just looked like red groom's shit, but small and in a package. Don't you get this? This is how can you not get this? But nobody wasn't getting any action anywhere. Toy world, art world, nothing. And so I just sort of stopped thinking about it for a while. And then around 1997, I'm like been loosed in the Lower East Side, which is now becoming overrun with like hipster businesses and streetwear and all this shit. And there was this um, store called Recon, mm -hmm. which was the clothing brand of, of graffiti artist named Futura 2000, who okay. is rather famous and rather established as, as um, you know, an important person in the art world. And he was doing a lot of shit in Asia and they were having, uh, an, a, 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 they would have parties there at the mm -hmm. store whenever something new came out. And uh, I, I would go to these things and try to meet people and hob hobnob. And they were releasing this thing called the fucking Point Man, mm -hmm. which was, as far as I can tell, the first designer toy ever made. It was basically just this character that he draws a lot it's just like a weird alien thing with a pointy head and pointy ears he's done yeah. a zillion versions of it but this was the first one and it was like a plastic figure of his character and it was in a blister pack and i guess it was made uh in with uh nigo from bathing ape i guess had helped produce this thing and it was for moax records you know and it was just like here it is yeah that's what i'm fucking talking about how did this get made i mean i was i was almost jealous but it was like obviously i'm not gonna get i'm not i, I can't hate on future i mean he's been mm -hmm. in a important established artist for the last 20 years you know it's like if anything i looked at this and it told me aha i'm on the right track yeah if this is going to be a thing i'm well positioned now it's like this is exactly what i predicted would happen it's happening someone else is blazing the trail and all i have to do is follow and i've got it fucking made so I just started hanging out in that scene. And uh, right around that time, a little bit after that, maybe a year or two later, this place called 360 Toy Group mm. opened right next door to Recon. And that was run by this guy named Jaquan. And he used to work for this company called Sir, who was this guy, Russ, who's still around, used to do that. And these guys were all making T-shirts and fucking sportswear and, you know, jackets and all that stuff. And this was like, Sir was really into the Planet of the Apes shit. You know, he did the Che Guevara Planet of the Apes oh, yeah, um, yeah. image, you know, which was all over the place. And all these guys had these little stores and they were going back and forth to Japan and Hong Kong and dealing with all these guys out there. And I guess some some kids out there in, in Asia, you know, because that's where all the factories were, figured out how to like make the shit in the factories and mm. all these Japanese kids you know, when all these old guys who used to make all the Japanese vinyl Sofubi toys back then retired, you know, they put these guys to work making little toys of all their icons from their clothing brands. I mean, some of the early guys that were doing this was like Bounty Hunter mm -hmm. and uh, Bathing Ape was doing all of this stuff. And and Jaquan, who had 360 Toy Group, was doing um, Supreme Toys and he did the first cause shit. And he had this nice little boutique store with all the toys set up and I would go in there and he was friendly. We used to smoke weed and he smoked me out all the time. I have an extensive interview with this guy on my podcast. Um, Jay Kwan from 360 toy group. And it was, he was like the first guy I ever met that was actually like doing the production, you know, like he was taking ideas and sending them off to the factory and getting the toys back and selling them. And 
you know, he was doing Stussy and he did the Keith Haring stuff and he was nice to me and he would let me put my little prototypes in there and show stuff like that. But he wasn't, I wasn't famous enough to like put money behind. I think, you know, in a way he kind of pitied me a little bit because (laughs) he like saw how hard I was trying and he figured, you know, he gave me as much encouragement as he could. And he even offered at one point to produce something for me if I could pay for it. It was going to be like 11 grand and I couldn't, getting up 11 grand was more than I could imagine at the time. Yeah, that's heavy. Now it wouldn't be so much of a problem, but back then for me, you know, because of my working class, blue collar poverty mindset, it was a bridge too far and I couldn't get there, you know, and this is like, this is when the bitterness started to settle in a little bit. Like, and I, I worked every angle. New York City was fucking popping off with this thing. And I remember it was extremely exclusive. Like, Jaquan was so fucking funny. He, there was no, like, this was all relatively new in all these weird adult esoteric action figures that aren't connected with the Star Wars or superheroes. What the fuck is this? And, like, these well-meaning tourists would come in and be like, hey, what is this shit? And what is this? It's so cool. He's like, get the fuck out of here. If you don't know what it is, get out. (laughs) He was so, he didn't care if he sold it. He was so committed to policing the exclusivity of it. You know, and like on one hand, I liked that and appreciated, but it also made me feel like, am I in or out? I don't know. Yeah, You know, am I excluded from this or not? (laughs) You know, I'm not invited. I'm I'm like outstanding right outside you know with the velvet rope and i'm at the front of the line but nobody's opening up the velvet rope for me so i can see inside and they're like waving to me from inside but they're not inviting me in and it was like all right all right i I under i understood why i was frustrated i understood why because i I was a nobody i mean they knew me a little bit from that weirdo with the boba fett helmet in the boom box (laughs) and that's about it you know and like you know my toys didn't look like their toys you know they were little lumpier and just like a little sillier and just like i don't know they weren't hip enough you know they weren't yeah. street they weren't hip-hop enough you know because that's what they all very invariably looked like and so they had like fat laces and big shoes and sagging pants and like you know remember like the big guys were like michael lau uh-huh. and then uh my friends over here had a store called uh go to and it was Tony Chan, who became Boss Chan in my stories, and uh, Bill McMullen, Billions McMillions, who's, you know, and they had this little store named Go To. And I met those guys because they had the Kiss Stormtroopers in the window, and I had to go and police that because I ran Star Wars downtown. And then they had an exhibit by this other artist called Eric So, who did all these Bruce Lee toys. These are like the first times you ever saw any of this shit in America. So I'm going around ingratiating myself all over the place and sort of getting known as the guy that did all these little sculptures. I even had a show at the vice store, like vice magazine had a store and, um, and they put all my crack house in there and all that stuff. So I was like showing the work, but not a single fucking soul wanted to pay one cent to have it made in a factory in China. And I'm getting kind of fucking stressed now because now what I thought was going to be an easy go I'm getting left behind a little bit, you know, and then like Toy Tokyo opens up, yeah. you know, and I'm, oh my God, I go in this place and it's like. And that's your heaven. It. Yeah, it's heaven. I mean, because yeah. why I love Toy Tokyo so much is because, and this was the first one where they were upstairs mm-hmm. and, you know, when I meet Lev, you know, and he's got what I loved about it and Healy made, that's where I met Healy made. He was working there and like he had, because he had two rooms, he had like all the vintage shit. 
you know, they had the exploding bridge from superpowers, which I almost put $500 on a credit card to buy right then and there, you know, and then they had the other room, which was all the designer toy shit. And now you're starting to see other company, American companies starting to come out like Strange Co. And I can't even remember Pete Fowler, you know, and all these early guys. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I'm like getting left behind, you know, and, and Lev was dabbling in production and I made something for him. I made this elaborate, crazy fucking like thing. It was like this video, like Atari creatures. Like it was like a video game console with a face and like a fucking tentacle arm and then all this shit. And I showed it to him. It's like, you want to make this? And he's like, uh, too simple. Like, what do you mean too simple? It's like got it's got an eyeball dripping off the top of the joystick, and there's a plug in the back, and a giant quarter going in in his back, and he's got like a claw arm, and there's like a little ver little video game in his chest. Like, how do you mean too simple? Yeah. But whatever, it wasn't his taste, and he didn't make it. I'm starting to, I'm like, ah, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? You know. And then, um, okay, I'm getting. I'm like, there's, I get finally. I get another opportunity. There is this um, this store called A Life, mm -hmm. and they were like another streetwear brand. And they had this big store on Orchard Street, and they were doing they would do art shows there. They had these big windows and these big walls, and they were doing art shows with all like the contemporary guys. Like they did like Todd Reese, Todd James, and Espo did the show there. Uh, Rose Star, Ryan McGinnis, Shepard Ferry did a show there, like, you know, kind of big dogs, you know, yeah. now this is when they were like first coming out. And I w made friends with this guy uh, named JK5, who was also his name is Joseph Arioloy, but he was named JK5. And he had this book called Subconscious Thesaurus Rex. And it was just a sketchbook. And it was all this weird ass fucking Star Wars shit. You know, yeah. have you ever seen any of his shit? No. It's fucking incredible. He he makes he's working for Tops now, making Star Wars cards, and he's fucking as miserable as I predicted he would be. You know, he's doing licensed Star Wars shit. Yeah, are those the Top Seventy or whatever they're called? They're 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 doing a sort of Star Wars esque take mm -hmm. on the '70s style. The Top said the '70s style, but the thing is, with the baseball cards, it's just the Tops guys, and they don't give a shit if it's in laws as long as it doesn't have dicks and violence on it. They don't give a fuck. They yeah. put my ridiculous card out. You know through toy tokyo ironically you know i was part of the toy toy tokyo set they never credited me or sent yeah. me my fucking samples they suck but star wars is a whole fucking different story which i told you about at length last episode so my friend is making doing so, his own concept of star wars cards and they're just putting him through the ringer change this make this bigger make this smaller take that out it's just like he he hates it yeah. you know but of course you know if they call you you go um so he's doing a show at um, A-Life, but he's a, he's a two-dimensional artist, you know, and he does these mashup drawings of Star Wars and all kinds of pop culture shit. And I loved his work. And I'm like, listen, um, I'm really good with the sculptural shit. Like, why don't we team up and like, I'll make like big, a couple of sculptures of your work for the window. I was just angling. I just thought like, this would be a good place for me because I want to be yeah. in the store and I want to be affiliated with all this successful shit going on. And I want to be able to show what I can do. So I'm willing to like play second fiddle to you to show what I can do. So I immerse myself in this guy's world. He lives up in North White Plains, right? And uh, which is like about an hour, a little suburban area, about an hour and a half north of the city. So I'd be going up there like every weekend, you know, and just 
bacheloring it up in this apartment that he had that was dedicated solely to making art. All the furniture was gone except for like a couple of beds and couches. And we lived like bachelors. You know, I was in there cooking. He had this cooking hot dogs and baked beans and whatever. And from morning till night, fucking waking up smoking pot and sculpting i had all the blue foam this is all shit i learned how to do at hasbro you know cutting sculpting these giant sculptures and coating them with resin and then he would paint them and then he had boxes and boxes and boxes of fucking old toys from when he was a kid and then i supplemented that with shit i was fucking siphoning off from from hasbro i never fully quit working for hasbro till 2013 okay it was always like on the side i would do it like once a year get a little money and then get a bunch of fucking toys off of it, you know, but at this point I had kind of given up on like it being anything other than just a freelance gig where I got free toys mm-hmm. and free food occasionally. And, and, I, and they would fly me places once in a while. And I got to see all the new Star Wars toys before anyone else, but I had given up trying to work there. But so, and I would go up there and like, and I was like, we were making all these, I don't know what happened. I just said, like, I'm going to cut all the heads off of these things and swap them around and just chop it and mash it. And we're making these, massive installations of just thousands of action figures all mounted to boards and like here's star wars figures hanging out in smurf houses and his family was very catholic so they had all these porcelain virgin mary statues that we were putting boba fets on just like doing whatever and just making this insane fucking installation and then to make it even worse for myself i was working fucking like a lunatic going broke doing this shit we were going to make a collectible that went along with this. And he had this little character called an Eno, which was basically this little teardropped creature that he would just draw in all these different forms and shapes and colors. And we want, they were going to make a glass version out of it. You know, he was thinking this is going to be like my Smurf, you know, cause it's like, this is like a, a template shape that I can, that can just have infinite variation on it. I was like, okay, we're going to make this. And, um, they were going to make a life was going to pay to make them in glass. And for whatever reason that fell apart and I had already sculpted it. You know, I made a little sculpty clay thing of it. It was like a little figure sitting in a base that was shaped like a Lotus leaf. And I was like, well, we still got to make these. And we had this friend named Charlie Becker who had a studio across the park from a life at this building called 195 Christie street, which uh, it was like an artist studio building, famous building. Like I think fucking Patty Smith had a studio there. Like a lot of a lot of known people have been worked out of that building. It's completely gentrified now. But um, and he had a resin casting studio. Mm-hmm. He was making molds and fucking sculpting stuff and doing casting. And I didn't really know a whole lot about this. I had seen it when I worked at Art Asylum, but you know, Art Asylum was just making them out of these just white resin. He was doing shit with colors and transparent stuff. And was like, hey, can you help us um, make this fucking Eno figure? You know, and he was like, sure. You know, he was friends with all of us and he was like helpful. And so we were going to, we got some molds made. And for some reason, we didn't make the molds ourselves. We took it up, took the figure up to the jewelry district, which is like on 48th street in New York city. You ever see that movie uncut gems? Yeah. Adam Sandler. We took it there. Okay. We took it. So we took it to like a jeweler and they made some silicone molds. We made two sets of molds, brought it down there. And I would go there and I'm pouring resin. First time I ever poured resin, we're mixing glitter in it and dyes and pigments. And just, I'm trying to make every single pour different. And then once they were all done mixing the figures with the bases and I had to sand them and fucking, they were, Oh, it was a fucking so much fucking work, but it was like my first resin toy. Yeah. Had them done at the last fucking minute. We had them in these little plexiglass boxes. It's like 
fucking, I was up till like four o'clock in the morning, like literally to the day before the opening, you know, making these fucking things. And then finally they're done. Everything is done. I fucking worked my ass off. I sacrificed everything for like four months, you know, and nothing fucking sold. Not a fucking Oof. thing sold. He sold a few paintings here and there and he was getting some opportunities and I got buckus off of it. Yeah. I was so fucking disappointed. You know, I thought I we he literally created a fucking masterpiece. We turned that store upside down. It was so dope. You know, I made the crucified Boba Fett thing, which mm -hmm. pops up in all my media every once in a while. I made so much cool shit. Nobody bought a goddamn thing and I was ass the fuck out busted. And you know, he was taking meetings with Jeffrey Deitch to do other shit. Nothing came of it. No press, no nothing and no money. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, and it was also very colorful. Right around the same time, I get invited to participate in Bill McMullen's birthday. He's like, I'm having a birthday party. And the only present I want from anybody is make a self-portrait of yourself. Give me a self-portrait. And I was like, okay. I need to slap something together real quick. So I took a fucking Boba Fett figure. A, I took a Count Dooku figure that I had laying around left over from that shit. I think I might have even removed it from the show and had a Jango Fett head on it. Painted it fucking silver, put it on a gray package, and it was like, called it The Morgue. And it was just, because my name's Morgan. You know, it's before I called myself The Suck Lord. I was called, still called Super Genius at the time. And, um, and I just like, it was all gray. And I gave it to him. And I was like, this is cool. Look, I made a little action figure of myself. It looks like Boba Fett. Take it. And it's all this monochromatic thing. And it was like, wow, this, this actually looks pretty fucking dope, you know? So let me let me let me see what I could do with this. I think I think I'm gonna make more of these. Cause I was so mad. I was like, I was like just so frustrated that nothing was working out for me. So I made this little figure and I was still work, I was on the clock at Hasbro, right? And uh, there's a factory or like a, a a big fabrication place out in Long Island City, Queens, where this company that I worked for that was contracted by Hasbro was making all their shit for Toy Fair. And I was painting baseboards for the Play-Doh room. You yeah. know, they had these just like wooden board, wooden, you know, the trim that goes along the floor of yeah. these little showrooms. And I had to paint them these pastel colors. And the paint was so thin, I had to give him like multiple coats. So while I was there, I'm on the clock, there was some casting resin and some silicone left over there because they had actually hired my friend Charlie Becker the year before to make some castings of this monk, this Monkey King exhibit for the Children's Museum of Manhattan. You know, they were making molds of these little peach buns which figure into the legend of monkey king and whatever so there was some of these leftover materials and i already kind of knew what i was doing so while no one was watching me <laughs> i just made a mold of this fucking count dooku boba yeah. fett thing that i made and then once the mold was done didn't use a pressure pot or anything awful mold the silicone was like going bad it was like fucked up i had like one mold for the body one mold for the cape and so i had this thing in the back back room nobody's watching me and like i would paint the baseboards for play-doh 
And then while I would dry, I would go over to the little workstation <laughs> and I would pour a casting and then put a towel over it so no one saw that what I was doing. And then, you know, it would come out and then I'd fucking make another one, make another one. They were coming out so, so bad. You know, there's no pressure pot and the molds were getting shittier and shittier. And like, so I'm like painting Play-Doh and I'm like, personally, like I'm getting off on the fact that Hasbro's paying me to do this. You know, it's like, it's became part of the folklore almost. And then, so then I got these four and then finally the mold just failed. And I got these 48 little misshapen gray, awful looking Boba Fett things. And I tried to paint them silver, right? With paint that I used, that I stole from the job and the can runs out before before I could get them all fully covered. So they're like half painted. And then I had like 48 bubbles that I got off of the Star Wars figures. They might have even had them there. And I didn't even, I don't even think, I did a really shitty job taking the paper off. And I just did this crappy printout, you know, of just black and white of this character. It was like a blurry photo of me wearing the costume. I had the Succadelic brand and I was like, what is this thing called? Because I was like, it looks like shit. And it was like, I want it to look like shit. I'm like yeah. channeling all my fucking frustration into this fucking thing because I can't get it. I can't get it. I can't I can't get arrested in this fucking toy business. So fuck toys and fuck everybody that likes toys. This thing fucking sucks. What am I going to call it? And I'm like, uh, suck, suck Lord. It's the fucking suck Lord. You know why? Because like, even though it sucked, and it was a disaster. I still had my fucking arrogance, you know, and my ego and my ma- yeah. mania. So I made it the suck lord. It's like if I'm gonna be the the, the loser and I'm gonna suck and be terrible, at least I'm gonna be the fucking king of it, you yeah. know. So it's like okay, I'm calling this the suck lord. And then I said uh, suck lord sixty six, just because I like the alliteration of the number, you know. And so I just make this thing, tape it all together, and then as a finishing touch, I'm just like. I want this to look like it came from the worst, most shitty ass factory you could possibly think of. You know, I want it to look like it was the the, the amount, I want this to look like the greatest amount of neglect you could yeah. have possibly imagined when it's a, so I splattered like this pink paint all over it. So like each one had like a big paint splatter on it to, to suggest that these things are just laying around some factory and someone accidentally dumped paint on it and they still shipped them. You know, and then I wrote, you're an asshole for buying this on the back. There was nothing on the back. And I just, for some reason, I don't know why I wrote that because I couldn't imagine anybody would ever buy this fucking thing. And I wrote, you're an asshole for buying this on the back. Wound up becoming my fucking slogan for my company. And I couldn't sell them to save my fucking life. You know, I would carry them around when I was still going. I was still trying to shuck the CDs, even though even though the thing had crashed. You know, I was like, there was still a little, you know, every once in a while I'd go to a convention and I would try to sell the CDs and the figures together. I may have sold one or two for like 20 bucks off my off my web store. But they weren't they weren't going anywhere. And and then that was just like and I didn't expect them to go anywhere. And I was just like fuck you, you know, (laughs) and then I'm still thinking I want to be in the toy business though. Um, this company sets up shop in New York city called kid robot, right? There we go. Okay. So I'm like, all right. Now all the guys that were around before Jaquan and them hated the, hated them. You know, because like they were dealing strictly with Asian art, Asian companies, Asian toys, 
only the cream of the crop, you know, and it was yeah. very exclusive and very, you know, they, they were, they were gatekeeping the fuck out of the shit. Mm-hmm. And so kid robot comes around and starts democratizing it and making it accessible to other people. And they were not feeling that shit. You know, there was a lot of hostility towards Kid Robot in the fucking community that was here now. But my thinking was like, you guys haven't done shit for me. Mm-hmm. I have no allegiance to you. I'm going to go where where the opportunities are. So I started ingratiating myself to the to the guys at Kid Robot. This is where Paul Budnitz was, mm-hmm. had, was still running it. He was the creator and he was still there and he was accessible and very involved. So I start talking to him and... You know, I think I convinced them to put the Sucklord 66 in in the store. They had a store on Prince Street in Soho. But that wasn't something I thought was going to be produced. You know, that was yeah. just something I made as a, as, a, as a fuck off. You know, and then um, a whole confluence of events happened all at once. Uh, I was still living at my mom's house and I was working at my mom's house. And I was like, I live in my mom's house for fucking 12 years. I'm fucking dying. It's like, how am I? I couldn't how am I going to get out of here? You know, I was never making enough money anywhere to fucking pay Manhattan rent, you know? And I refused to live in Brooklyn with roommates. I just like, I had my standards and I wasn't going to go anywhere and I was relatively comfortable, but I was broke. Anyway, um, a relative of my mother's, an aunt or some died and left her a significant amount of money. And, and some of that trickled down to me. So I got $10,000 you know, more, more money than I'd ever had in my entire life. And by then I was not thinking I'm going to blow this money on making a toy in Mm -hmm. China. You know, I was like, I got to get out of this house, you know? So I found myself a little art studio Mm -hmm. down on the outskirts of Chinatown over here, uh, on Broadway. Yes. The Broadway, like Broadway, right below Canal street, right on the edge of Chinatown, which is pretty much exactly where I wanted to be. And I got a little room in there in this artist studio building for like $700 a month, which was the biggest commitment, financial commitment I'd ever overtaken, taken on in my life. And I was like, I better figure out how to fucking pay for this shit. And, you know, I invested in like a a pressure pot and a compressor. And I'm like, I'm going to use this shit to do my my model making. You know, I'm going to do my prototyping here, right? wasn't really thinking about any sort of production. I figured I was just going to make my prototypes here. And Budnitz was going to come over to the studio and I was going to make a big pitch to him. Okay. And my idea was I want to bring back the Fisher Price little people, you know, but I want to make them weird and monstrous because I like them, but except for the Sesame Street ones, they were all just of normal looking people. And I was like, what if they were weird? You know, like I made a, a Micronaut one. Yeah. Which was just, which was, which was just weird because this was something, this is, this is the throwback. When I was a kid, we would go to this place called McKay's Drugstore, which is a little neighborhood drugstore, and they had a little toy section there. And that's where I would get all my Fisher-Price stuff. I got like the Main Street, I got Sesame Street, I got like the airport, you know, all the little people stuff I would get there. They had a nice kid's section. And then I remember my first big boy toy was a Micronaut. Mm-hmm. Like they had this, I didn't know what they were. They just had this thing called the Acroyer. You know the Micronauts? Yep. I was just thinking, looked to me, it looked so cool to me. I didn't know what it was. It was like, you know, I already had three and three quarter figures because Fisher Price also made the adventure people. Yeah. But this was like, but again, they were just like regular looking humans. And there's this thing, it's like this 
space robot knight. He's all green chrome with this little knife and these roller skates and these weird wings. And my mom bought that for me. And then I got the time travel and I started getting Micronauts a year before Star Wars came out. And I guess for some reason, because that was my first big boy toy, in some weird subconscious realm, it blended with the little people. So like I made like a micronaut little person as a yeah. sort of little ex demonstration of like, what did I, what I wanted to do with the little people? I want to take the little people and I want to mash them up with, you know, monsters and sci-fi and all this shit. So I, I had my little mold making situation, took the little person body, got rid of the head, sculpted, you know, other parts and then made molds of it and made these little prototypes and I had to work them and sand them. Like I wasn't really good at the model making, the molding enough to like really make professional looking stuff. So I had to yeah. really work it. And so I set up this whole thing. I made this book, which I still have, which a dove is going to buy for me one day. And uh, <laughs> with all the proposed ideas, like fucking 25 different figures, vehicles, play sets thought yeah. out to the end, you know, and Budnitz comes over, he looks around, he looks at the shit and it's like, Oh, that's cool. No. Oh, okay. I mean, obviously, you would you would have known if it was a yes if it happened. No, or not even an answer, just nothing. Yeah, didn't take, didn't go for it, and that was it. And I was like, well, I was counting on that because now I got to pay this fucking rent. Yep. And I don't think I'm good enough at making these things. I, I didn't see how I was my skill was going to allow me to like put these little peg people things into production right then and there. I did eventually, but at the time it seemed beyond my craft. So it was like the only other thing I had going was like the shitty looking star Wars figures. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and just say, fuck it. And I'm going to make a follow up to that suck Lord figure. I guess a year had gone by and I had managed to sell enough of them piecemeal here and there to, to encourage me to think that maybe I can make a go of this. You know, it's like, nobody wants to make any of my shit. So I'm just going to make it for my fucking self. Yeah. And it's going to look bad. It's going to look bad. And I got to figure out how to, how to justify that. So, you know, I'm just going to be like, you know what? I'm just going to call these bootlegs because I'm making fake Star Wars figures anyway, and I am in Chinatown, the bootleg capital of New York City. Uh, it all sort of seems to fit together somehow. Yeah. And I'm just going to be ripping off Star Wars, which is what I do because I'm a fucking loser and I have no ideas of my own. So I'm just going to lean into that. I already call myself the Suck Lord. I already call my company Suckadelic. People are well aware that this is trash. So I'm just saying these are bootleg figures and I'm just going to like wrap them in all the cachet that goes along with the illicitness yeah. of buying counterfeit goods. You know, I've already declared myself as a supervillain, you, know, you know, because I was like, nobody wants to fuck with me and I'm against, and I was like looking for revenge. And I was like, I just styled myself as the antagonist to the, the toy business. I'm just going to go against the grain. And instead of making nice, cool, cute, pretty, well-made collectible shit and make everybody like me, I'm going to do the exact opposite. Yeah. So here I am, you know, fucking super villain. So I was like, what else is cool after Boba Fett in Star Wars? And I was like, well, Doug, Stormtrooper, you know, I'm going to make a weird Stormtrooper what can I do now to the stormtrooper to turn it on its head somehow and invert yeah. it or pervert it in some way? It's like, well, what's I'll change the color 
And what's the what's the least likely color a stormtrooper would be? You know, it's so pink. There's no way there would ever be a pink stormtrooper. So I'm making it pink. So I made like 25 pink fucking stormtroopers. And then I had to come up with an idea for the packaging. I'm like, well, why? Why is it pink? You know, like, what's the story here? What's the reason? Well, he's pink. So, well, Momo, is he gay? He must be gay, right? Okay. <laughs> he's it's a gay stormtrooper. So what am I going to call this? Gay stormtrooper, gay fire, gay empire. Ah, gay empire. Fuck it. So I just made this shitty graphic on on like black and white, you know, just like use the Star Wars font and just made it look terrible. And I didn't have any printing budget. I didn't know how to print a card. I still don't. So I go to this, you know, I just I go to this little copy shop in the in the East Village run by this little Bangladeshi woman who still prints my shit to this day, by the way. No and, way. Um, yeah. I go in there and I see she's got this pink paper. You know, they make these shit called Astro Brights. Mm-hmm. And like, I was so concerned about the cost of these things that I didn't want, I didn't think I could afford color copies. So it's like, I'll just do black and white printing on colored paper, you know? Okay. And that's where the sort of style came from. I was like, it's like, it looks like a punk zine. It's fine. So she printed this shit for me. I spray mounted it to the boards, which is like something I learned how to do at Canal Jeans. And thankfully there was a company online called like West Wind Collectibles that sold like replacement bubbles. So I bought those, taped it on, splattered the paint on it, make this thing called fucking Gay Empire, put it on my website, fucking nothing happens, right? I don't know how to sell this shit. And it's like, if I don't sell it soon, you know, the rent's coming and I burned through that $10,000, you know, yeah. over the last couple of months, buying all this resin and fucking, you know, you know, I spent some money on myself too and like buying, paying rent here for a couple of months. And, you know, I had to put the deposit down. It's like, I was running out of money and like, I, there was no work. I didn't know what the fuck to do. And it's like, this has to pay right now or my whole shit is over. Yeah. You know, and I guess, I don't know what happened, but somehow it wound up on the kid robot message board before any social media. That's how people used to communicate was on these discussion forums and kid robot had the discussion board. And either maybe I sent it to Toys R Evil or somehow it got the attention of Frank Kozik. And he, as a gag, he just said, hey, look at this weird ass fucking toy, you know, this pink gay stormtrooper. And he posted it on the kid robot message board and it got a lot of attention. And there was maybe a sale or two here and there. But then what happened because of that, I get this fucking and i'm I'm dying i get this rant i'm dying i don't have any money i get this random email and it's from this fucking guy in california and it says hi my name is dove kellimer and i'm a toy (laughs) distributor in california and i sell you know vintage star wars toys and i was wondering if you had any wholesale available for your your gay empire figure and i said well (laughs) as a matter of fact i do i got a whole bunch of them right here and and he was like okay great and he paid me just underneath what the wholesale price was sent to check immediately mm-hmm. i sent him the figures i was able to pay my rent and he's like i'll take whatever you make and i was like all right yeah i'm in fucking business thank fucking god for dove if that had not happened i would have defaulted on my rent and the whole fucking shebang would have been gone so like at the fucking last minute he comes through and I'm good. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep making this shit now. So I made, I just kept doing it. I kept adding shit to it. I kept adding new characters. And it was like, I was like, I finally, he bought like whatever Suck Lord 66 I had left over. 
they sold them to him for like 10 bucks each. Those things sell for like $1,000, $1,200 now yeah. if you can find it. Remember, it was not that long ago we sold, it was like on one on eBay and fucking Brett Ratner, the movie director, bought one for like 1100 bucks. It's like, wow. You know, but at the time, you know, I was just was happy to shovel them out the door. He writes back to me. It's like, why are the heads broken off? And I'm like, oh, it's supposed to be that way. <laughs> He's like, oh, you're hilarious. Great. And then he was he, he loved it because he was so sick of regular Star Wars toys. That was the kicker. That's what made the shit click for me is that there was this need. There's a lot of guys my age who grew up collecting Star Wars toys, still like them, still wanted to go through the process of collecting them but just found the mainstream toys to be just a little too ordinary and a little too accessible it was like they were graduating from like pot to crack you know yeah. it was like they just wanted a strong they wanted the same hit but stronger and weirder and like this was the only place to get it you know and so i was cranking the shit out cranking the shit out i made another version of of the of the suck word 66 i made the suck word 75 and this was all this was all happening in fucking 2005 and this was right around the time Revenge of the Sith comes out, right? And I had made my peace that these new Star Wars movies were going to be terrible. And even though the bottom had dropped out initially of Star Wars breakbeats, people are masochists and like over Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, there was enough interest in Star Wars going forward that I was able to still sell these things here and there. And we got offered a chance to DJ outside the Zigfield Theater, okay. which was the big, you know, which was the main where they would line up. You know, I talked about this last episode. They would line up to buy tickets to the movie. And so they set up a DJ booth in front of there. And I was going to go spin records and mix Star Wars samples in there uh, to, uh, you know, to entertain the, the line. And I had my buddy Crystal Fowler with me, who's known as Dark Fader at the time. And I had a, needed a look for that. And like, uh, maybe I was just going to go wearing the Boba Fett costume that I had already made. But seeing as I had already made a figure of it, what I did was then I modeled the costume after the toy. So I took the whole Boba Fett costume, changed it to all silver. I had a cape made, a silver cape made from a seamstress, painted the helmet silver, added the Count Dooku lightsaber, and just like, and then just blinged out all, all platinum shit, you know, and just sort of, and then it wasn't Boba Fett anymore. It was the Suck Lord now. Yeah. You know, and that was sort of where it all sort of came together, where now not only is there a toy of it and not only does the toy represent my inner life, but now I'm basing my outward appearance on the toy. So that and that's and then that and that's one of the whole supervillains thing sort of coalesced. And that's where it was like, I'm not me. I'm a character. I'm not Morgan Phillips. I'm the suck lord. I am a guy. I'm a mercenary. I'm a bounty hunter. I'm a Sith lord. I'm a super villain. I'm fucking you all over. I'm making terrible toys that suck yeah. shit, and I'm taking your money, and you love it, you know. And I just like that. And then that was where the whole mythologies just sort of coalesced. And then I had given up altogether working for any toy company. I was like, I can cast this shit all goddamn fucking day. Yeah, so you know. here's the question I have. You had at one point said that this kind of spurred out of your frustration with like you were fixated on almost like revenge because no one wanted to mess with you. And uh, so you made these toys, but Dove buys all of them. You start selling them. Where's that frustration level? Because you're starting to realize that you don't need anyone now. Like you're able to kind of do this. Oh, well, I finally got my satisfaction. 
Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I just felt, I just felt great because for the first time in my life, I was making a living off doing whatever the hell I fucking wanted. And I was like, this is great because I don't have to follow any goddamn rules. You know, I was so sick of like the Star Wars bullshit of having everything had to conform to all these fucking rules and all these style guides and had to run every fucking thing up the chain. You know, I could put a cock on a stormtrooper and sell it and nobody yeah. could tell me otherwise. You know, and people were people were eating this shit up because like designer toys had been around for a few years now. The Rotocast vinyl, it all had a certain look. You yeah. know, it was all like these sort of cartoony looking things, you know, and I was so mad at Kid Robot because they were giving everybody gigs and they weren't didn't give me uh, didn't give it to me for some reason. You know, thank God, you know, in in hindsight, because they eventually made a dunny for me. They did. I, I got them to do whatever I want eventually. You know, I didn't need them for much. But, you know, because I also made this I was making fake dunnies. Mm -hmm. I was doing whatever the fuck I wanted. Nobody said a goddamn thing. Everybody was like, how are you not getting sued? How are you not getting sued? And I was like, I don't know. They didn't sue me when I fucking made the record. <laughs> so why are they going to sue me now? So, you know, I started, I mean, I have, I'll, I'll, I have my reason, my theory why, why they never sued me for gay empire, which I'll tell you at the end of the interview. But it was like some interview, it's just me talking. But um, I, I was, get, I was finally, I got my satisfaction. You know, it was like, I'm, I was living who I wanted to be. I had embodied this supervillain character. I was making my own living, doing my own thing, and people were fucking buying bullshit off of me. I felt like a hustler, you know? I yeah. felt like I was like a, a drug dealer or something, you know? I just like, everything about it was illicit. And I used to hype that up. I remember guys would like want to come and buy stuff from me and I would go and like meet them out on the street and I would like, let's go back here and like, you know, and like hiding and like making it look like it was some kind of criminal activity going on. And I just leaned into that that persona, and and you know I was just like it was just completely self-aggrandizing. I couldn't believe I was getting away with like talking myself up so much, you know, and calling you're an asshole for buying this. I would berate my customers, and people would. I, I couldn't believe me, you know, being who I was, managed to pull this off somehow. You know, it was new to me. You know, I'd never felt that confident before. You know, and I had the mask. You know, I would take the helmet off occasionally, but like, you know, I'd walk into a room and that with that costume on and not take off my helmet, you know, and people knew I wasn't fucking around because, you know, when people wear costumes, they're wearing a costume. Mm -hmm. You know, I was that person, you yeah. know, like, you know, you walk into a Halloween party, you take off your mask. Hey, it's me. <laughs> Drink beer. And you don't own it. You know, I was owning that shit. You know, I would come into the party, come into the thing with the boom box blasting, get in my fucking stance. and I was in it and I believed it myself. I bought it. That's why I always, that's why it always worked comparing myself to Boba Fett because eventually there would be a downfall and we'll talk about that later. But, you know, you know, it was just like, I was in, I was just took whatever the fuck I liked about Boba Fett and just made it that and just saying, we're not going to be an asshole and fall in the Sarlacc. You know, I did, but that came later. Um, and I was getting away with it. And there was really, there's not really much else to tell beyond that for a while. You know, like, like I said, it didn't look like any other toy there was. So people were gravitating towards it. You know, people that were not wanted to collect shit, didn't want to collect mainstream Star Wars stuff. And the vinyl shit was too cartoonish or stupid for them. This was perfect. I was cranking shit out month after month after month. I fucking generated these weird group of followers that would just like, I would put it on the website and it would sell out immediately. 
whatever yeah. I made, whatever I wanted to charge for it. I mean, it took me a while to get there. I remember the big, the big hair pulling decision was like, should I make a toy that doesn't riff on Star Wars? You know, I wanted to make a Micronaut thing. I, I made like, a, I had the Antron, which was one of the, the Mego aliens, which was one of my all time favorite Star Wars lines. I mean, toy lines. And the reason why I loved them so much is because they were just a ripoff of the Cantina aliens, yeah. you know? It was just like, I just loved the Micronauts, but they had their very strict look. And then these were like Micronauts, but so different and off and so American. So I took the Antron head and put it on like an emperor body. I don't know what the fuck, the fuck to call it. I called it uh, Galactic Jerk Bags. Because the whole strategy was like, I'm just going to, like every character is just this miserable, irredeemable loser. You know, yeah. they're not even good supervillains. They're just like pathetic failures you know just like and making like I, I thought that was very funny and ironic and it goes all the way back to the crack house where i was just trying to make an anti-toy yeah but i was worried like if i don't have a star wars reference on it is it is it gonna not sell you know and this was always always been a problem for me and you'll see how in the next episode how it destroyed me but um i i risked it and i put it out and then not only does the toy sell this like group of people come together calling themselves galactic jerk bags and they made a a, a, a forum discussion board of just suck it suck lord shit you yeah. know buying and trolling and se selling uh other other people selling my shit you know and then this was going this was go i could have done this gone on and on and on and on you know doing doing this shit you know and then all of a sudden not all of a sudden but a couple of years in it's just like two guy, two big hack, you know, it's like making bootleg resin toys. And now there's this guy, killer bootlegs, you know, making these things. And it's like, wow. Uh oh, you know, <laughs> what's, what's, what's going on here. And those guys couldn't get any fucking traction. Apparently like those guys couldn't show their fucking face on my message board, you know, cause everyone's like, this is what the suck Lord does. Mm-hmm. You know, and they got hazed the fuck the fuck out of them, and they none of those guys could get an in. Anytime any of those guys tried to fucking get over, it'd be like, "That's a psychedelic ripoff," you know. And and I was just dominated this shit. I was going to designer con at this point. I was going to comic con. I was walking around comic con with hot chicks, going to all these different booths and selling shit. And I was, I was, I was the ultimate get over. I was winning on every level. Like I was still working for Hasbro, right? This is the great, I was so proud of myself with the scam I was pulling. I was working for Hasbro, right? And Hasbro would fly me to San Diego to go work on their, the Star Wars booth at Comic-Con. So I would, you know, I would go and I would do whatever I did for Toy Fair there. And I got to work with fucking Daryl DePriest, who was the main guy at Star Wars. And I even said to him one day, this is a side story, but it was like, you know, they were, they, you know, all these Star Wars figures are great. This was during the era. It was like, they were just making every single fucking thing you could think of. Like Chewbacca with the chess table in a different pose. Like there was 2000 Chewbacca's like, have you guys ever thought about making like retro style figures? You know, because I'm having a lot of success doing shit. And, and there was like, no, we don't want to look backwards, you know, and now yeah. look at it. Yeah. Now look at you. You know, I mean, I was still angling. I didn't have any expectation, but I was always, always, always butting in, giving them my two cents, trying to figure out where the angle was. Anyway, what would happen was the company that I worked for would put together all these display materials and put them in this big shipping container 
put it on a truck and it would go out to San Diego from, from Queens. And they would let me take all my counterfeit Star Wars bootleg figures that I was taking to Comic-Con and put them on that truck, you know, so I didn't have to pay the shipping cost. So yeah. I'm smuggling bootleg Star Wars figures in with official Star Wars display cases to San Diego and we'd get there. And then I would, I would, we would unpack the truck and there would be my little box of pink stormtroopers inside the display case that they had fabricated with the big star Wars sign on it, take it out, move it, you know, and then I would set up all the star Wars toys. I still love doing that stuff. I still would love doing that, you know, and I would set everything up. And then, and then once it was set up, I was off the hook for the whole yeah. convention. And then I would just, put on my costume and they bought me a hotel right across the fucking street from the convention. And I had my little, you know, my little model tart staying with me. And then I would go into the convention with my fucking suck Lord gear and a big box of toys and make this big grand entrance. And I'd show up at like the O'Neill design booth or the dove booth or whatever, wherever I was selling and fucking kill it. People yeah. would line up to buy this shit. And I would berate the audience and I would fucking do my little shtick, you know, and I was like, P.T. Barnum, you know, I was so good at it, you know, the performative aspect, you know, talking shit and shilling and making a big deal about getting the money, give me the money, fuck you, fuck you, pay me. <laughs> and, and people ate it up. And I could have lived this way probably forever. But I was like, um, you know, there's got to be more here. Where's the build? Like, I was still feeling like it didn't. I felt like I didn't know where I could go in the toy business. Like I had made, I'd finally been able to, because of the success with this thing, make a rotocast vinyl toy in China. I made, I, I got, I managed to drum up 11 grand. I think I put up half of it and like Dove fronted the other half. And we made some distribution deal where he would be able to recoup that money and, you know, sent that, sent out a sculpt of the suck lord character it was just like a boba fett with a boombox and a lightsaber to 3a toys and they made it for me yeah and it came back and it was this thing called the suck lord 600 it was in a giant blister pack and it was like finally here it is if like seven eight years ago i had seen this when i was begging jaquan for a gig i would have been like oh my god this is perfect i love this i did it you know but then when it when i finally got it after doing all the handmade shit, it seemed somewhat unsatisfying, you know, like it just this box came and they were all looked the same. And I didn't love the quality and it just something about it just didn't. I mean, they sold people liked it and it's kind of considered to be one of the classics, I suppose. But the process of it just didn't turn me on. It's yeah. like I got to sell a thousand of these fucking things. Meanwhile, I'm selling like batches of 40, yeah. you know, and getting plenty of money off of that and i was like i'm not gonna do this i don't care about this anymore i'm glad i did it but it's like this is my what i do now at one point i thought the resin figures was just going to be a stepping stone to something else and it wound up being the thing and i was happy with it but so i didn't really give much of a fuck about the toy industry but i was having i still had my sights on the art world and i was like there's got to be some way this is art i mean everyone kept calling it art Somehow this is art because you're an artist and it's the way you make it. It's more like art, you know, it maybe doesn't look like art to some people, but it takes art effort and it has art intention behind it because I'm making shit out of my own subconscious mind and I'm using it. I'm making self-portraits and I'm using it as a way to express myself. And it's very hands-on and it's painting and it's sculpting and it's all this shit. The art world should know about this. And I didn't know how to access that, you know, until one day. 
I'm sitting on the toilet looking on Twitter and I see they're having open auditions for this TV program called Work of Art, The Next Great Artist. And I was like, you know what? I can get on this show because I had seen season one and I was like, there's why the fuck am I not on this? Huh. You know, because I had already had some television experience and I was like, if I get on this show and wow them with my fucking shit, I will become a, I will make it in the art world. And that's what I decided to do. And <clears throat> I'm going to save that tale for the next episode because it will probably take the whole thing. But that's what I, that's what I just, I decided that the art world and television was my ticket. That was my ticket to becoming a successful artist. And that's where this episode ends. So I do have uh, a quick question. Uh, you do, you, you're making toys in this heyday of whatever's going on. And people are saying that you are an artist, you're making art, there's art intention, all those things. Why does it, or why did it then take that? Like, what was the problem that you couldn't connect the toy and the art? Like, was that something in your own head that you couldn't put together? No, it was just like, it wasn't recognized as art. I mean, occasionally here and there, I, I know like a dunny or the money wound up in like the Whitney design show. Yeah. You know, it was just always viewed as design. And mm -hmm. like some people considered it, you know, high-end design. Like I remember I used to get mad because sometimes like stupid kid robot bullshit would wind up <laughs> in these sort of like fancy architectures, magazines or whatever, whatever. You know, I remember there was a lot, I remember a lot of magazines, you know, yeah. and I used to get in all the toy magazines. I got in fucking Toy Fair multiple times and whatever else there was, I, you know, anything like that. All the nerd shit. I had the nerd world locked, but, you know, like downtown New York at the time, there was, I mean, it still is, it always is. But, you know, at the time it was very art, it was very art oriented, you know, Vice magazine was, was the dominant thing. And like, you know, the, and like, you know, the. I can't even remember who the famous people were at the time, but just like all this, just, they just weren't thinking about this kind of shit. I mean, they were, the art world was having yet another fucking incestuous love affair with graffiti. And, you know, it was just like, they just never could, it was just too fucking nerdy. And it just like, and maybe it was partially because of my personality or just, it just never clicked. I had a show in Chelsea, yeah. right? It was sort of a prank show, you know, Chelsea, <laughs> for those who might may or may not know, is like where a lot of the major art galleries in New York City are. It's considered the, the, the gallery district. It's also the gay district. But, um, and there was this guy named Johan who had this thing called Bouhere, and he was more like a purveyor of, of collectible ephemera from pop culture and beyond, and it's impeccable taste, all kinds of great shit. And he had this space in Chelsea, and he wanted to do like a prank art show. You know, so of course he fucking picks me. And like, I guess I understood, you know, on one level that this was supposed to be a parody of the art world. And that like the whole thing was like, why would a, pre a prestigious art gallery give this clown a show? Yeah. You know, that was his thinking because he wanted to, it to be a fuck you. And I went along with that. But I also figured, well, that's what the art world is. The art world loves pranks, you know. And once they actually see the work, they'll realize that there's some depth to it, you know, and they'll get past, you know, the initial veneer. Of, of, of silliness and see that there's actually a lot of thought going into it, which was absolutely not the case at all in any way, shape or form. I mean, I sold a lot of shit, 
but you know, it was all to people that were in on the joke and it just never crashed through the canvas ceiling or whatever the fuck you want to call it. You know, uh, it just never translated into the fucking bourgeois halls of, you know, of, of, of the Gagosians of the world or, you know, and like, which is funny to me because you look at the shit that fucking like Jeff Koons makes. Yeah. And I mean, I have an answer to all of this, which I don't, which we'll get into later, you know, like I'm still approaching this and I have a strategy for it, but at the time, you know, I wanted it to pass as, as it was. And it just, it didn't work. And I figured if I can get on this TV show, you know, that will help. And I also figured, I just figured if I get on TV, it'll drum up business. You know, yeah. what could possibly go wrong? You know, what could possibly go wrong if I go on this TV show? So I, uh, I went to the audition, but I don't want to talk about that right now. <laughs> okay. You know, I have one I, more question I, for you. I want to keep it focused on toys for this episode, because I was kind of thinking for the fourth episode, it would be all about the TV shit. And awesome. then, and then how that affected the work afterwards. Yeah. So let's keep it pro let's keep it toys for now. Yeah. One last question for you. And then yeah. we'll get you out of here. Um, so, uh, I keep thinking about the, the crack house, that place that, right. That's come up a couple times for a period of your toy making career. You wanted to get that produced because people were asking for it wholesale and, um, all those things. Yeah. Now that you're on this side with notoriety, with success, however you deem that success, we see you as successful. Um, and seeing this like resurgence in uh, people uh, in their 30s, 40s, and 50s collecting these things and wanting more toys now, what is to stop you from going back into these old things and producing the shit out of them? Oh, well, for one, I just think now after all is said and done and in all the different esoteric directions that I've taken myself, it seems like a kind of a puerile idea. Okay. I just don't think it's really that funny. And to be honest with you, you know, when I think, when you look, looking at it now, you know, I made this, I made that thing in like 1992 mm -hmm. and it's like, I'm not going to say it's, it's just sort of like an, I don't feel like making fun of addiction and poverty and making light of, you know, people prostituting themselves for drugs and throwing babies in dumpsters yeah. is really the look right now. I mean, at the time I was in my twenties, you know, and it was just like, we didn't think about these kind of things. And it's like, yeah. you know, I had some, you know, there's some unfortunate depictions of, you know, poor, of poor people and people of color, you know, I mean, I, I made a point to keep it racially diverse. You know, there's like the, the hooker, the, the hooker, the crack hose black, the crack addicts are Puerto Rican and white and, you know, and then, the, and then there was like, I, I, I actually lifted a lot of the material from that Spike Lee movie, Jungle Fever. Yep. You know, there's a crack house scene in there. I've never actually been to a crack house. I have smoked crack, but I've never been to a crack house. And um, so I just lifted it off of there, but it just seems like, and at, you know, at the time it seemed racy and edgy and especially because I was in Oregon and we were very far away from New York city and it seemed some, it seemed like very urban. And, you know, I was listening to fucking NWA at the time and there was just like a callousness to it, which I just yeah. don't think, which I just don't think would fly today. And it's just like, it's just not something I would, I would want to do. And, um, my, my production ideas just are, 
happening or happening in a different space. I, I just feel like there's no real reason to to go backwards in that regard. I mean, I still do have it at my mom's house and maybe someday I'll show it again or sell it or maybe it's, you know, it's significant because it really was the genesis piece of everything that came after that. And there's still shit coming. You know, I got way more in store here. But um, it's just, it's not applicable today. Yeah. You know, I mean, and even even like the little peg people, like I made everything I wanted to make in that department. Like I finally got my resin craft up good enough to to the point where um, where I could I made everything I wanted to make. And it's like, you know how you know how expensive it is to make fucking toys, what a pain in the ass it is to ship it and deal with the district. To be honest with you, I don't want to deal with that. Anymore. I don't want to deal with that. And I certainly don't want to be a toy company. You know, it's like I do occasionally entertain production deals here and there. And like up till now, nothing's really clicked, but things come down the pipe. And I'm not against working with a toy company to produce my shit and just take a royalty. But I have no desire to fucking warehouse shit. I have no desire to fucking go back and forth with a factory. I have no desire to do all the marketing and fucking pay for all the lead testing and all the crap you you have to do, yeah. you know, to get a toy to market. Like I feel like I pretty much satisfied that part of myself to a degree. You know, and now I'm really just doing it by almost on autopilot just as a way, you know, it's just like one part of my income. And it's just like, I don't know. I have a lot of other ideas that I'm interested in, you know, and just like toys will always be a part of my life. But, you know, I feel like I did this shit for fucking 17 years or whatever, however long it's like, how many ideas can I have? You know? And it's like, I really, what I really like, you know, especially after making that fucking vinyl figure really realized that that just wasn't for me. I love the nimbleness of the bootleg shit because, um, because like I can come up with an idea. It could be a really weird, random, very specific niche idea. I can make it in a week, mm-hmm. two weeks. I can have, I can go from an idea to the market and I can get it out. I get the image on social media. Everybody sees it. I sell enough of them to justify doing it. And then the next, yeah. you know, it's not like I'm banking on, like I'm waiting six months to a year for this boat boatload of fucking plastic that's based on some fucking inside joke that was funny six months ago and now it's nobody cares anymore and it's like ah, i don't need that aggravation it's just so it's so great to be able to just pull something out of my ass and especially if some current event happens right Mm -hmm. and like i want to respond to it immediately boom i can make it within a couple of days i can have a figure to market and um and and there it is, and it's fucking past, and it's over. Especially nowadays in the whole fucking meme era, you know, it's like it's a it's so funny to me. And you're all welcome, by the way, you know, because and I'm also relieved that I don't have to do it myself. Like a perfect yeah. example is, you know, you know, eventually all these copycats manage to get away with this shit, yeah. you know. And I think that's partially due to like, you know, I I was due for a, a fall, you know. Um, I oversaturated the market. I was getting lazy at a certain point. My prices were going up. My quality wasn't improving. And a lot of these young, hungry guys were coming out and making shit. And, and, you know, and especially like I'll give credit to fucking killer bootlegs because he tolerated the hazing, you know, a lot. He was like, he's really the one 
killer the reason why i think in a lot of ways both myself and killer bootlegs kind of have a joint responsibility for turning this bootleg toy making thing into like a global fucking phenomena is yeah. because i created it but he was the first guy to be second you know he was the first guy to say like hey you can do it too this is not yeah. belong just to the suck lord I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the abuse that you're giving me. And then I'm actually going to make shit that's better than the suck Lord. And he achieved that. You know, I was getting lazy. I was phoning it in for a while. You know, this is right around the TV show was happening. I was starting to, I was phoning it in. He was hungry. He was making better shit, charging less for it. And yeah. like, you know, how anybody becomes the big fish in the pond. Eventually people want to knock you down. That's just human nature. They always, they love the underdog and they want to see the fat cat fall and that's that's what happened and he stuck it stuck it through and then after that all this fucking other people start coming out of the woodwork and then dove embraces it and starts giving it a platform and you know for a while i was like getting bent about it and dove is always like well it doesn't matter because eventually people all roads lead back to you and i'm like yeah yeah maybe you're right and there was nothing i can do i could stop it and now it's like i benefit from it because it's it's nice i mean i feel like in a lot of ways this interview series is because of that it's like you know you look at this whole fucking so-called art movement and then you can point to a living person that's sort of like can directly being traced to the originator of it that's interesting to people so yeah. i managed to make my hay out of it but i'm just saying thank god this world exists because if not, then I would have had to been the asshole that had to stay up all night after the Oscars making a Will Smith slaps Kid Rock figure. But I knew, I knew that within 24 fucking hours, you were going to see something. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to bed yeah. and I'm going to wake up tomorrow and someone will have done it. And sure as shit, they fucking did. More than one person did it. Great job. Perfect. Looks exactly like it's supposed to be. Two figures that look like Chris Rock. I don't know how they pull it off. People are sitting on these like boxes and boxes of broken figures. And as soon as there's an opportunity, boom, there it is. The package looks great. Everything looks great. You put it on fucking Twitter, boom, boom, bang. And it's fucking done. And I'm like, great, I'm still in bed. And I didn't have to do it yet. Somehow I still get credit for it. You know, like somehow people still look at that and be like, oh, suck Lord. That looked yeah. like people send it to me. Oh, this reminded me of you. Of course it fucking did. Of course it did. You're fucking welcome. But, you know, that's that's neither here nor there at this point. You know, someday I'm not going to be doing this shit. And I don't know what's going to happen to this to this world. It's such a bizarre little niche thing that actually makes no sense. I just did the 10th anniversary in action figure show at Clutter. You yeah. know, where it's a platform and it's a venue open just to people who just specifically do this thing. And they put my little thing in a case by itself. And that was nice, you know, but I don't know where this shit is fucking going because, you know, what I have discovered that is absolutely not scalable. You know, it is not scalable at all. And then this is one of the things that led to my my first uh, fuck up was that me and Dove tried to scale it. You know, we outsourced some of the resin casting to someone else and we had other people making it and tried to make more of it and lower the price. And something got lost there. You know, something got lost there because it's like, it's not a mass produced item, but it's acting like a mass produced item, but it doesn't have the quality. And because the artist himself didn't make it, some special part of it is yeah. missing now, you know, and it just 
somehow it didn't it didn't work out. And I remember Comic Con 2013, and I'm getting ahead of myself. This is after the TV show, you know. We tried to sell this shit, and there's this big wall. I made this gay Batman and Robin. It's called Gay Gotham. You know, it was like a pink Batman, pink Robin, and on the last day of, of San Diego Comic-Con at Dove's booth, I'll never forgive him for this. There's this big wall of them standing there. It's like nothing had sold. And it's like, dude, hide those, you know, don't show the unsold. They fucking had a feel the fucking vampires and the vultures had a field day. Cause some, my fucking whole message board turned against me at one point, you know, because they thought I was, you know, these are the loyal followers and they started to really the, 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 Hey, you're hustling me. Gag started to become, Hey, wait a minute. You're really hustling me. You know, at yeah. first it was like play, we were playing the role. Like I was being a sucker buying your shit. Cause I actually really like it. But now I'm now you're really trying to play me for a sucker making this whack shit. And ha ha, look at you, mister. You couldn't sell shit. Your fucking whole image. And that popped the fucking bubble. You know, that's the fucking thing about hype is all it takes is one shitty image of like fucking dead. You standing next to your dead stock to like peel the take the fucking glasses off you yeah. know the rose colored glasses or the fucking they live shit and then suddenly they see you for what you are a fraud and a charlatan and then suddenly boom you know people were flushing their suck lord collection you know people were dumping it and it was just like it was a catastrophe which i which i which took me years to recover and this was happening parallel to like the aftermath of the tv show which i'll get into the next episode but it was just like it it was it fucked me up and then not only that not only was my work suffering there's all these little fucking young whippersnappers ready to come in and fucking pick up my customers and give them what they want better and cheaper and i'm like standing out here with my fucking dick up my ass you know soft you know and like yeah. not knowing what had to do and like constantly feeling like okay fine killer bootlegs you're forcing me now to fucking step it up and come up with different things and that's that's a fucking tale for another time but Toys on Tap. Next episode. It's great. It's amazing. You're going to want to listen to it. It's not right now, though. You're going to have to wait till the next episode to listen to it. Oh, when's that? The next one. Cool. Toys on Tap. The next one's going to be good, too. So stay tuned and, and, and listen to that. Toys on Tap. Awesome.